Well, Happy New Year. It's good to see everybody and thrilled to be in worship with you as we begin new traditions, new habits this new year. Good morning to those who are watching online as well. We're grateful that we can open God's word together. This is all generations worship, which means we have kiddos in the room. Let's hear for the kiddos. Glad you're here. That also means mom and dad, you can take a deep breath, relax. We're okay with a little extracurricular activity. You can regulate that. We're not giving kids, we're not giving you free reign, okay? You have to listen to mom and dad, but we don't want you to stress out. Uh, We're just grateful that we're all here and we can uh, worship together. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Appropriately, we're wrapping up the series on the fruit of the spirit with self-control, And that seems like a a topic that's uh, poignant as we begin a new year. I think a lot of us are trying to figure out how we can uh, make this year better than last year and adjust some things, maybe habits in our lives. And so we're going to dive in and look back at Galatians 5, 22 through 24. It gives us some good news about self-control. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So when you read that, it's another reminder, as we've said over and over again, that what Paul is saying is you need to be self-controlled. So you need to suck it up and control yourselves. It's not what he's saying. He's saying you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit of the living God in you will give you the capacity to be in control. Do you see? There's such a difference here of what it means to be a Christian and to walk in self-control. And so to unpack How to experience the freedom of self-control this year. I want you to dive into another passage. Let's move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, toward the end of the chapter, we're going to begin reading in verse 24 in just a second. Let me give you some context about this. He's talking about freedom in Christ. And he's saying, uh, if you look down, actually just above this, he talks about how pastors should be paid. Praise God for that passage. But actually, it's not an issue at Kingsland, I I realize. And then he says, even though I I can be paid, he said, I'm not going to be paid in this particular instance. And then he starts talking about self-control, this idea of freedom in Christ through self-control. And he's basically saying, I'll do anything in order to see others come to Christ. He wants to bring his body, his desires, his rights, if you will, under God's control. And then look down in verse 24. He gives an illustration. Verses 24 and 25 say, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm not going to let anything control me besides God's purpose for my life. And he says, I want the prize. Boys and girls, hopefully when you came in today, you picked up some, uh, some wiki sticks. I had some, some presents for you out at the entrance. Uh, it's like little pipe cleaners with wax on them. If not, moms and dads, you can go grab them, a couple of packets and, and so on. I want you to do something for me. If you get bored, you can use the dot to dots of the activity pages that are in there as well. But I would love for you to build me what you'd consider a great reward. Maybe it's a trophy. Or in this case, what Paul talks about is a crown that would have been the reward or the prize that time. What would be a great prize for somebody to get? Now, I spent some time with my two packets of wiki sticks, and I built this crown. 
Lana said, are you really going to show that in the service? And I said, sure I am. And I don't think it's going to affect the creativity of our kiddos. You can do much better. But there's what I came up with there. And so if you, if you take some time here, I'd love to see what trophy or award you come up with, boys and girls. Glad you're here. Well, uh, Paul knows he needs self-control. Uh, anywhere he might have difficulties with boundaries, and, and all of us have these. In fact, this is the Apostle Paul talking. In Romans 7, he says, the things I want to do, that I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And incidentally, Curtis Lane's preaching at North Katy today, and he's preaching out of Romans chapter 7 because that's the heart of the challenge he has, right? Why do we need self-control? Because God calls us to something better, and we can hurt ourselves by overindulging in good things. And the most obvious example in Scripture probably is food, right? And so, um, boys and girls, here's a verse I bet you haven't heard before. Proverbs 25, 16. If you find honey, eat only what you need. Otherwise, you'll get sick from it and vomit. Aren't you glad you came to church today? In other words, too much consumption of a good thing can be a bad thing. We're a nation that knows how to consume massive amounts of everything from TV to stuff to food. Uh, I want to show you this ad. This is from the 1950s uh, for soft drinks. You see that there? Enjoy America's favorite soft drinks. And notice the bottom, two full-size glasses in each 12-ounce king-size can. That means that a serving is six ounces. Do you know what we call a six-ounce serving in 2022, a sample. That's right. Somebody said a shot in the back there. Okay. Glad you're here today, brother. Think about the serving sizes that we had in the 1950s and 60s to where we are today. It's such a change. Proverbs 23, 20 through 21 puts it this way. Don't associate with those who drink too much wine or with those who gorge themselves on meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will become poor and grogginess will clothe them in rags. In other words, too much consumption in any area can lead to misery in other areas of life. Do you see that? Incidentally, uh, even when it comes to food, it's really important to understand that you cannot judge a person's self-control solely on appearance. You can't do it. Some of the most disciplined people I know have health challenges and conditions that dictate that maybe you can't see it, but they're working hard. And conversely, you'll come across people we all know who cannot gain weight, but they eat whatever they want. They just engorge themselves on unhealthy food. They're some of the most unhealthy people you know, but they just, they just don't look that way. And if that's you, I want you to know the rest of us in here, we want to punch you in the face. So this is not a diet message. It's not. It's a consumption message. What we see here is that all of us can relate to consumption challenges, and it applies to every area of life. Television, social media, leisure, romantic relationships. It could even be exercise or attention to beauty. Merriam-Webster's definition of gluttony uh, says excess eating or drinking, but the second definition in the dictionary probably gives us the biblical idea. It says greedy or excessive indulgence. You see, gluttony is turning to consumption of anything or any practice 
rather than turning to God who supplies all our needs. It's noteworthy that in Proverbs 25, the text I read earlier about honey uh, and eating too much honey leads to getting sick. It actually talks about that honey twice in the same chapter. But after that, because that's, that's a, an idea we can all fully understand, he gives other examples that are more subtle about self-control. The first one says that I read, don't eat too much honey or you may get sick and vomit. And then right after this says, don't spend too much time in your neighbor's house or they will hate you. <laughs> so the idea is that some of you can say amen to that, right? Unless you're sitting next to your neighbor. But the idea is don't, you can over-socialize and it can destroy you. And then later on, he brings up the honey again. And right after that, he says, he talks about temper, right? You can, you can over-consume temper. You can have no self-control with temper and on and on it goes. So this idea of self-control extends far beyond that. It's just an illustration we understand. So what can we do about it? Well, 1 Corinthians 9 gives us some secrets. We, we discover how we can experience the freedom of self-control. And so I, I just want to share with you for a few minutes today, two burning questions that I'm asking as I begin the new year. And I want to encourage you to consider these as well. Two questions that are born out of the passage here in 1 Corinthians 9. Here's the first question. What prize am I pursuing? Verse 24 again, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. What's the prize that Paul is pursuing? That begs that question, right? What's, what's his prize? He actually answers that question a few verses up in verse 18. Look with me. He says in verse 18, what then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Paul was focused on sharing the love of Jesus with the people around him. There was nothing more important to him. Do you see? And when we walk in step with the Spirit of God, we begin to care about what God cares about. And so he gives an athletic illustration about a prize. How many of you had a coach sometime in your life that caused you to do things you did not want to do. And you willingly did it for free. Why? Because that coach convinced you of a prize that was greater than what you were experiencing in the moment. And so you weren't looking to the, the mundane, the drudgery, and the hardship. You were looking to the prize. That's the illustration that God gives here. Another way to look at it is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read this passage to you. Romans 12.1 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. It's a beautiful word picture. A lot of you have heard that before. In the Old Testament, you would place your best animal on the altar. For the Christian, God invites us to give the living body of a person dedicated to him, to give ourselves to him to lay ourselves on the altar of worship, giving myself fully to his calling for me. Do you see? But there's another way of looking at that passage. Listen, we offer our bodies as a sacrifice in view of the mercies of God, it says in that passage. And so another way of saying it is we're offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God instead of as a sacrifice to something or someone else. And I think we're all placing our lives on the altar of that which we prize every day of our lives. If we care deeply about money or status, 
we place our lives on that altar. If we care most about pleasure, we place our lives on that altar. Do you see? Philippians 3.19 describes this. Paul is saying of those in spiritual rebellion, their end is destruction. Watch this. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Their God is their stomach. In other words, their appetite for pleasure or satisfaction becomes the ultimate prize. So the bottom line is this. What we value most in life, we pursue. What we value most in life, we pursue. Self-control begins with seeing God and his agenda for my life as the ultimate prize. And we say, Lord, you're the ultimate prize. So here's my life. I offer to you and no one or nothing else. It doesn't mean you can't have other goals. Of course you can. Those are good goals, career goals, relationship goals, academic goals, whatever it might be for you. But those have to be secondary and not primary. Do you see? That's why in verse 26, as he continues the athletic illustration, he says, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's saying, I want the steps I take to matter. He has the right prize. He doesn't want to get distracted. A lot of you know I grew up uh, working for my dad. My dad ran the airport in our hometown. And so after school sometimes on weekends and in the summer, I'd work and mostly do the mundane stuff nobody wanted to do around an airport. Wash planes, sweep hangers, that sort of thing. Well, part of my dad's business, what he would sort of, like you hear about flipping houses today, he would flip airplanes. He'd get an old plane or one that was run down. He'd get it uh, redone and, and uh, wash it and make it nice and then resell that plane. So one morning he told me, hey, son, what I want you to do today is go back into the hangar. There's an arrow in there, Piper Arrows, a, a type of airplane. I want you to get out the green arrow and I want you to just make it shine. I'm going to uh, meet with a buyer in the morning. And so I said, okay. So I spent the whole day. I mean, I had that thing scrubbed down, looking beautiful. Showed up the next morning and my dad is furious with me. And he says, I told you to wash that plane. I said, Dad, I washed the plane. And he went off in this diatribe. Kids today don't know how to wash. I mean, you, you, that's not clean. You call that clean. It's not clean. I said, Dad, I spent all day. That, that plane's clean. So I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back a little bit. So he does what all dads do. He marches me out there. Let me show you clean, son. So he takes me out to the plane, and he takes me to the wrong plane. So it turns out uh, I'm colorblind, so you know that. Green sometimes look a lot like gray. Some dude had a gray Piper Arrow out in the hangar, and he got a free plane wash. I mean, it was beautiful. Over in the corner, Dad's green arrow was a mess. It was filthy. And so it turns out I had put in the work, but I'd washed the wrong plane. And see, I think when we talk about self-control, sometimes it comes down to the prize. Some of you are working really hard. You have goals in your life, but you're washing the wrong plane. And God says, no, if you'll change the prize, look upward, think eternally. Then all of a sudden, as he says in Matthew 6, 33, all these things will be added to you. Do you see? That's the difference that God gives us here. First question, what prize am I pursuing? Second question is closely related, and it's this. What attitudes are driving my actions? Back at verse 25 with me. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. He's back to the sports and the crown. 
He withholds good things in order to get great things. We see this. He doesn't show up on race day hoping for the best. No, he's been preparing. But don't miss Paul's wording here. He says everyone who competes. He doesn't say they end up with good self-control. He says they have self-control in everything. Is that hyperbole? Maybe. But I think the point that he's making here is that they're really not trying to have self-control. They just have different passions than that. They have an appetite for something greater than any distraction, do you see? They're not experiencing this desire to go do this and this and this. They are focused, and because of that, their attitude has changed, and they're actually experiencing joy in the preparation. There's lots of good things athletes sacrifice for great things. Here's why this is important. Most people at New Year's want to answer this question. This is what you thought I was going to ask. What steps do I need to make to to make improvements? What do I need to do? Or what do I need to stop doing in order to be where I need to be? Those are the questions we focus on. Those are good questions to ask around New Year's. It's just not what Paul's saying has anything to do with self-control. The heart of self-control has more to do with our attitude than our fortitude. That's what he's saying. Incidentally, this is the major difference between biblical self-control and popular self-help as a source of uh, uh, self-control. And the biggest difference between what you'll find in the popular book section and the Bible is the source of your power. In self-help, philosophy, the core power comes from where? It comes from within. You read things about phrases like personal power or internal fortitude or believing in yourself and all these things. But let me tell you the, the ugly reality. Believing in your own power will leave you miserable in the long term. That's the truth. The idea that you can find power in yourself is empty. The big difference is the source of your change. Biblical change comes from the Holy Spirit's power and acknowledging your own inability. That's the difference. This may be the most overlooked aspect of consumption and why sometimes we have a hard time stopping whatever we we are consumed with. It's not a matter of willpower. It's a matter of contentment in Christ. When I find joy in the Spirit of God, my motives change, my habits change, my appetite changes. Do you see? If you talk to old-timers in New York City about 1981, they'll remember not so fondly the trash strike of that era. The trash strike in New York City in 1981 is historic because of the sights that you saw, mountains of trash piled up for 17 days, garbage everywhere. You can imagine the stench. But you know what else showed up in droves? Rats. Rats were everywhere. Imagine if you were on the city planning commission, you were trying to avert this crisis, And so you gathered all the city leaders and said, I have a solution to our problem. There's rats everywhere. Here's what we need to do. We need to get thousands of rat traps, put them all over the city, and we'll solve the problem. What would you say to me if I did that? You'd say, you're crazy, Ryan. That's not going to solve the problem. Why? The problem isn't the rat traps. The problem is the garbage. 
if you get rid of the garbage, you get rid of the rats. The same thing applies to biblical self-control. The more I thought about this message, the more I kept coming back to that because we often seek out temporary solutions. Listen, sometimes good solutions, but they're temporary solutions to deeper problems. Medication can be a rat trap of a workaholic's unwillingness to rest. What's the reason you need help relaxing? Fad diets can be a rat trap of one who eats to relieve stress. What's the reason you need food to feel better? Listen, stringent budgets can be a rat trap for the overspender. What's the reason you always want more? Listen, if you want to exercise self-control in the coming year, whether it has to do with food consumption or alcohol or sexual sin or media consumption or gossip or anything else you can name, don't begin with willpower. Deal with your heart and your tastes will change. That's what the scripture says. Seek Jesus. Invite the Holy Spirit of God to raise your expectations and goals and pursuits and passions that will last for eternity. And that will change the way you consume. Do you see? It goes all the way back to washing the right, right airplane. You know, there's some in the room today or watching online today. And in your heart of hearts, you know you've never trusted Christ. You've never begun that relationship. You don't know what it means to be set free from sin by Jesus Christ, the only one who can. And then when you begin with that, it will change the equation for everything else. And Christian, listen, can we get distracted? Of course, when we turn our eyes upward and we start to think about eternal prizes and eternal goals and those things that are really going to last, it will change your goals and it will change your taste. The fruit of the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need to bring every aspect of our lives under control. Every breath I take, every bite I eat, every step I take, every word I speak, every choice I choose, for your glory, Lord. Would you bow with me, church? I'm going to pray for us before we sing and then depart. I wonder whether you'd be willing right now from your heart to God's to present before him all the challenges maybe you face or those areas where it's the hardest to have self-control would you be willing to just spiritually lay those at his feet and maybe change the sentence that you'd normally say rather than saying God would you help me to work hard and to change these things why not invite the Lord. Lord, would you change my appetite? Give me a different focus such that I would desire something better. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of opening your word today. Thank you for the boys and girls in the room, God, that you're raising up as champions for Christ. But God, today, right here, right now, Lord, as we present honestly before you the challenges that we face, each of us, would you change our appetite? Would you draw our eyes to 
greater rewards than maybe what we focused on. And God, I pray for the man or woman who's never trusted you. I pray that today would be that day. We ask this in Jesus' name.